Okay. Do any- the Standing Orders Podcast. Welcome to this latest edition of the Standing Orders Podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, the Emeritus Mayor Sue Lorne. Hi, Thomas. How are you? Well, this is our fourth attempt at getting the podcast done. And so I'm the same as I was on the other three attempts. I'm absolutely fine. And how are you? (laughs) I'm exactly the same. I'm just, the weather, (laughs) I think the weather is seriously playying around with the uh, internet this end. So apologies. Yeah, the flash flooding causing problems for for people's households. The thing that we're most focused on is it causing an absolute bloody nuisance for podcasting. Um, I I will say at this point, I did get a message, and I'm not sure whether it's because some of the the last podcasts have been, shall we say, um, I, I never do a lot of editing with the podcasts, and I often leave when I make a mistake or you never make a mistake. But if you did, I would leave it in. Um, <laughs> yeah, on purpose. And someone messaged and said, why don't you edit those out? Because it doesn't sound as professional as you, you could. And so I just kind of replied and said, you know, I personally think that adding or leaving, like, all the fuck-ups in actually <gasps> makes it better. And you're going to take that word right out. No, I, no, I'm bloody well not. And I've got loads more I'm going to leave in as well. Just mark my words. And I thought, you know, I'm not, no one is perfect. And, and no one wants to listen to, you know, if you want to listen to a manicured, well-edited um, kind of podcast, you're not going to listen to this. Um, because this is more like us talking than it is kind of anything else. And so that's why I leave all the fuck-ups in rather oh, than taking seriously. them out. But this is the thing, and this is what what a podcast is. It is literally just really relaxed. If you want to see a professional interview or whatever, then you know, this isn't the place for it to be. But but no, I I do think that sometimes... Then watch GB News. (laughs) (laughs) No, if you want to see something like this, then go to GB News. If you want to see something on a professional, serious matter, then go to the BBC. But um, oh yeah, right. Yeah, the BBC yeah. again, a pounding left, right, and centre this week. And yeah. can I just say, not that we're going to go into um, like the tragedies that are going on at the moment in Israel and Gaza, but um, the BBC really don't help themselves no. a lot of the time, do they? I mean, no. it's the one thing that can. I mean, um, one way they're the one thing that can unify both Labour and Conservative politicians in both criticising the BBC, which in a way, I guess, shows that they're being completely balanced because they've managed to upset everyone. So um, that's that. But talking of political balance, two by-elections last night, two victories for Labour this morning, um, two massive and historic by-elections in that they've overturned I, I think up to something like 24,000 yeah. votes, which is, yeah. you know, a mammoth achievement by Labour. Um, do you think this is going to translate to a Labour government next year or the next general election? You see, I just don't know. Uh, it's, it's fine whenever you're in the middle of a term and, um, you know, everybody wants to uh, to register their uh dissatisfaction with the 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 government of the day and I think maybe this could this could be the case I don't I 
I probably could say without any hesitation that I doubt very much that the Conservatives will make it back in um, next um, November. I think that's whenever they're saying it's going to be October, November next year. Yeah. But um, no, I think that, um, yeah, I think the people who were Conservative voters who were really unhappy with how things have been for the last six months in um, Bedford was was just, um, you know, they were either never going to come out and, and waste their time because there's certain people that still won't vote for, for Labour Conservatives as unhappy as they are with the Conservative Party, their politics and um, their convictions are still the same just because the people that are representing the Conservative Party at the moment are seriously letting the side down doesn't mean to say that everybody who did support them has lost all their convictions about you know what their their policies and um you know how they they think that um, this country should be run so um again who knows I, I don't know the way things are going yeah probably could be labor I don't particularly want it to be that way at all um Jesus but... can, I, can I just say like listening to you it is like listening to Greg Hand. I mean, you've just given me the longest explanation in history. Do you think it's going to be a Labour government? Well, that's a long answer that I'm going to have to give you before I finally come out to say. I could have actually, just said, yeah, you, I, you know no, I should just, I should have just said no. But I have just got to say that this morning, when I turned the television on, Greg Hands was on, was being interviewed on BBC, as much as I really despise them at the moment. And uh, and I I really thought by the, BBC the way that, or Greg Hands or BBC, no, BBC. Uh, the the way that he was talking I really thought um, that conservatives had probably <laughs> created a miracle last night and and won both the seats and it wasn't until I heard the news a couple of hours later that I realised they'd lost both the seats. But the way that he was talking and the impression that he was giving was that they didn't have anything to answer for. The Conservatives didn't have anything to answer for. It was just purely the, um, you know, the Conservative voters didn't come out. And okay, Labour did okay. But like you said, this is a historical vote. You know, this is a a historical change for, for both those areas. And, um, and there was just no remorse there at all about how the situation had come around so no I I think what I enjoyed about the the kind of the feedback was they um they described it as there were some legacy issues with um with the seats in terms of who had been in them previously I think referring to um I think is it Chris Pincher and um Nadine Doris now I'm going to forget her Nadine Doris how could I forget her name um you see Gone and forgotten. Yeah, so um, quickly. But Nadine, you know. <laughs> no, but she has been gone but, for about six you know, months, but we just didn't know. <laughs> but I thought, you know, th- th- there are some legacy issues with the seats, clearly. But I don't think Nadine Doyers is, is, like, responsible for, like, losing 24,000 Conservative votes. I think that the Conservative leadership have managed to do that themselves. And everyone who kind of calls radio stations like LBC or comments online, you don't find a lot of them are the constituents of the people who have just voted. You know, you don't see people from mid-beds kind of ringing up and saying, this is the reason why I changed my vote. I think a lot of people didn't turn out. Mm -hmm. Those that did went out to kind of send a bit of a protest. 
Um, but I just think that, if anything, it's not that people are going to turn out and, and vote Labour or Lib Dem, like, at the next election, if they've been hardcore Conservative voters. I think those people are just going to stay at home. Mm. And it's just going to be a kind of capitulation, if you like, that that's going to lead to a Labour government, because... I think people would find it really difficult to go out if they're staunch conservatives and vote Labour or Lib Dem. No, they, they, yeah, um, but they will either vote, I, I suspect, something like Green or not vote at all. Um, but I think a lot of people would struggle to put a cross in the conservative box um, because I think they generally feel that there has been some, uh, I don't want to use the term like corruption, but I, I strongly no, feel I there probably has know. been. Is it corruption? Um, oh, there has been. Oh, come on. <sighs> you don't think that all through COVID and ever since then, apparently oh, with certain dealings don't. with... You, no, and there have been grants given to Rishi Sunak's wife's companies and there have been all sorts of stuff that's been going but, on. Um, <sighs> and obviously all of this is actionable, so I'm not actually making any allegations. I'm just saying what's yeah. been reported. But, you know, I, I just think that people are just fed up with it. And to be honest with you, like you're disenfranchised and you're Ooh. actually, you know, you're a conservative mayor this year and you're disenfranchised. Yes, I know. That seems such a lifetime Imagine ago. how everyone else feels. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know quite a lot of people who are in the same, are feeling exactly the same um, as I do and, and were, you know, previous councillors before. So, um, yeah, so it is... and. You know, there's no getting away from the fact that the last two years, um, I, I don't know. I know that there's all these allegations out there about what happened during lockdown um, and the contracts that were given out. You know, that was totally an unprecedented situation. Um, you, you've got the scientists telling you one thing. You have to act on, on you know, I'm looking sorry, after. None of them, none of the scientists, no, none of the scientists told the Conservatives to give grant funding to Rishi no, no, Sunak's no, no, wife's no. companies. And, no, what I was saying <laughs> is that they were acting on what the scientists had said. You then have to protect, you know, at the time it was 250,000 uh, that were estimated that were, were going to die in the, in the first three months. So you had to then act on how you're going to save these people. So, and but again, you know, we, we I've said this so many times before, you're putting people in charge of a situation who've never, ever dealt with anything medical or scientific, um, you know, in, before. That, that's never something that they've had to come across. If there'd have been, if they'd have said to the, you know, got some major um, consultants, professors to, you know, to come along and, and put their uh, advice over along with the scientists. And then the government then acted on what they were being told. Maybe that would have been a very different situation. That, that is what they had. They're all they running around like headless chickens. Like they, they had the chief medical officer, they have the chief scientific advisors, they have all of those people, but they were still ha like running around like headless chickens. That doesn't tell you that there was an issue in terms of the advice they were getting. It tells mm. you that there's an issue in terms of the actual governance that was going on. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like I, I don't know who, who, I don't know how you can in any way, shape, or form think that after everything that happened in COVID. You know, you've got, um, as you know, I was speaking to someone today who said, you know, they had an email from uh, the Conservative Party saying, you know, 
Keir Starmer's going to be laughing at this. Well, do you want to stop him laughing? Send us more money. It's like, <laughs> you know, there, there is absolutely Just... like no recognition from these people That's that so actually, cool. you know, you've yeah. taken a free... Why would you want to give these people more money? Like, I just, I yeah. just don't see it. And I, I, I assume Keir Starmer is laughing. And you know, the people who have enabled that to happen are the people that are now saying, "By the way, can you give us some more money?" Because they are the cause of it. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get like too deeply into this, but it is going to, you know, it is going to have a profound change, hopefully positive for local government, because. At the moment, everything I read, I mean, I and I think it's only because kind of we operate in the local government sphere mm. that you kind of get the impression that the government are causing and, and well, not causing, but basically the government are either delaying or causing so many issues. Now, let me rephrase that. The government are either delaying decisions or causing issues which is just causing so many issues in the sector. I mean, you look at everything that they do, you have, like, we, we covered last time in, in terms of Michael Gove, um, actually, I think it was time before, Michael Gove supporting remote m- meetings, like last year. Mm-hmm. This year, now he's got actually the ability to do something, no, definitely don't support that. The government have changed from, we want a call for evidence and to hear from people and then to actually do something to... We've done a call for evidence, we're not releasing it, and we're doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually actively opposed to it without telling you why. Mm-hmm. And government funding is, is drying up for local government. Um, government guidance is is poor in terms of what actually their expectations are in the future from local government. And all of this is actually impacting hugely on like the smaller councils because actually the principal councils are genuinely struggling and when they struggle a lot of the pressure then builds up at the smaller councils who expected to do more with far less resource than any of the big councils and it matters it matters what government does at any tier of local government and I can only hope that you know a Labour government comes in I don't think there'll be a lot of funding for local government even if Labour do get in but I hope that some of the easy wins that they could get, um, they'll grab onto and they'll mm. achieve. Well, I can't, I can't agree with you on that, but I, um, I, I think that there will what be. Do you, what, okay, what do you dis, what do you disagree with? I just don't see that we can, that a Labour government can get us out of the mess that we're in. Um, I think that we need something totally fresh, totally new, someone who. It's going to need to be a party that is going to regenerate, and um, and is the repercussions from this last three years. We're going to be paying for that for a long, long time. So um, I, I don't, I don't see anybody, maybe one or two, in in the Labour Party who I think can stand up and and will be better than what we've got at the moment. But I just don't see that. Um, the Labour Party will be are a party that is going to to pick this country up, dust it off, and get us back up and running again. I just don't, in in my opinion, I just don't see that. But you, you um, really do fancy yourself as a county mayor, don't you? You think <laughs> that the Tories are going to give you <laughs> after what I'm saying? You're towing the line just so Everybody nicely. But who looks back on but, I mean, the last year on my opinions of the Conservative Party? There's no chance of that happening, but um, but no, I, I just think that um, 
we oh, I don't know. I, I'd love to see a fresh new party come along that uh, I've listened to the people and understand the people and and have got yeah, some ideas you... how to get us out of this mess. Didn't you have that with um you like see after the but Brexit just go back to just sorry, just thinking when, when about they... Just thinking about what you were saying about Keir Starmer and how, you know, how he's, he's going to work miracles. He says that he's going mm-hmm. to get rid of the uh, the lists that, um, that's, you know, the backlist of uh, all the procedures, the people are waiting for procedures. And, and he reckons that he can do it um, 200. How many, how many thousand did he say that he could do? It, it, they can do it in a year. I'm sure he said something like 200,000 procedures can be done, the backlog. And um, mm-hmm. you haven't got a hope in hell of that kind of, um, you know, the, those kind of treatments being done in a year. The, the, the Just because people have already registered with the NHS and everybody knows that they need to have certain procedures, colonoscopies, uh, you know, new hip replacements, whatever it is, doesn't mean to say that because they're already registered with the NHS and they're waiting for those operations, that there's not going to be the same amount of people coming along who needs to have those procedures done as well. So you're, you're sitting saying that you can get rid of that backlog, but what about, it's, it's not possible to do that in, in a few years and, and turn it all around again. What about the people that are, that are now registering themselves and need to have that procedure done? Somebody needs to, to understand what the NHS is all about. And trust me, the NHS is on its knees. So it's going to have to be somebody who's got a better idea than sitting saying, I can get rid of those lists in a few years' time. I think he said seven years that he could get rid of them or something not not in a million years yeah but but to be honest you have to be ambitious like if you're not you have to be, be practical it's not being ambitious you, you have to be practical you have to think where the money's coming no, from I, where are the people that are actually going to do those operations yeah you see I, I just like well then they may be able to attract, or they may be able to bring people out of retirement to be able to do it if you make the offer good enough. And there have been changes that have been required to doctors' pensions for some time, which has actually yeah. meant that at the moment doctors can't come out of retirement to do this work because it affects their pensions so greatly. So if they resolve these issues, you'll probably find that you'll be able to get back people who have subsequently left the NHS or retired altogether. Um, and you'll be able to bring them back in. And a lot of people who have left the NHS are burnt out or just fed up with everything. And so actually a bit of change might well, you know, well, might, might well do something. But I mean, you, you're talking about a new political party. I, you know, I kind of feel that we, we kind of went through that. I mean, do you remember the, the Anna Salbury change party that kind of came after Brexit and after mm. kind of all the issues with anti-Semitism and the issues within the Conservative mm. Party. And then they kind of created the Change UK and it was a mix of, I think, Lib Dems and yeah. Independents, which were Labour and Conservatives. You know, they started a kind of new party to do exactly what you want and none of them got elected and the party was dissolved within, I think, probably just over a year I think yeah. it lasted and mm. because it basically was just people defecting well yeah and, and they didn't have uh, you know they didn't have the policies they didn't have the 
um, you know, the explanations for how they were going to achieve what they wanted to achieve. So, it, and that's why I'm saying it needs to be somebody who um, has has got the ability to turn things around. And, and I just don't see that it's, there's anything there at the moment. But um, watch this space. We've still well, got a year before the yeah. next election. We do, but a year's not a long time. And whatever happens, it needs to happen fast. Um, but talking of, of failings, um, so there has been, I believe, failings. a survey um, that, was, uh, that was done by, um, well, I, I think it was done by Solace, um, which were looking at uh, the Office for Local Government, the new independent regulator, which isn't so independent because it's part of the government, um, and he has been imposed, but actually without really a great deal of detail, etc., um, on it. So it, it's not the audit commission, which was obviously kicked out, I think, probably about 10 years ago. Um, was it that long ago? Or was it 2015? So anyway, more than five years ago, they dumped the audit uh, commission. And now they've brought in the Office of Local Government, which is not the audit commission. Um, but apparently no one has any confidence in it. Um, and the majority of people think that it should uh, just be scrapped. And it's been going for, what, a month or two? So, so <laughs> far, so good. <laughs> the shape of things to come. <laughs> this is it, you know. It's, it's, it, it is a, uh, is it, again, it's a situation where they've just lost touch with everything around them. Yeah. And, I, and I just, I, I don't... I don't really understand. Um, like, I don't really understand how they can get it so wrong by literally imposing this without, you know, any real discussion or negotiation with kind of local government. This this isn't something, and I think it's one of the things that they've said, is that this should have been something where the local government association, the sector, sit outside of government and, and look at it and kind of start this kind mm -hmm. of process of this is what they want. But instead, they've, they've basically got civil servants looking at local government finance. And civil servants, let's face it, don't have the best reputation kind of for it. It's an arm's length, non-independent organisation. None of this really seems to make an awful lot of sense to people. Um, and actually, there are so many missed opportunities. I mean, people are talking about, you know, the way that the Audit Commission had key performance indicators. They're all gone. So what is, what is the Office for Local Government doing? And I think one of the, the main things, which I actually completely agree with, um, was one of the comments that was made about how can um, assurance arrangements for local government be improved. Um, they wanted somewhere for Section 151 officers to tell the truth without losing their jobs. And that just reminded me of what I read about Birmingham, where I think they're going after their Section 151 officer for failings and saying that basically we're trying to blame one individual for the whole organisational mm -hmm. kind of failure. And you just think, you know, they've done this about monitoring officers and they've gone after individual monitoring officers when things have gone wrong. And often councils, and, and it's councils of all size, big and small, will be bullish in their decisions when they're sitting around the table to, to kind of feel like, I'm important, I'm making these decisions, and I don't need to listen to officers. I don't need to, because I know what I'm doing. And actually then, when it fails, it's like, oh, well, Christ, we should be going after the Section 151 officer. Well, you know, 
the Section 151 officer wouldn't have done anything that wasn't agreed by council. Every large council, especially one the size of somewhere like Birmingham, you know, they have finance committees. They have a portfolio holder for finance. What were all these people doing? You can't say that the, the entire kind of, I know the Section 151 officer is responsible for finance, and that's why, you know, they're Section 151. Um, but, you know, it doesn't fall just to one person. You know, this is a whole framework of good governance that should be kind of supporting that office. And clearly, they just want to single one person out and try and blame them. But I will say, every time they've done that with a monitoring officer, it's failed. And so I have no doubt it'll mm. fail this time with the Section 151 mm. as well. But the thing is that to, to make things work, you have to work together as a team. You can't... The, the, the officers are there... They're being paid, they're experienced, and they have the knowledge about what the how the finances are supposed to, to, to go. That's supposed to work together with the councillors who's just come in on a four-year period, and they are, you know, they, they need to go with the advice that the officers are telling them. So that's where you have to work together as a team. You you can't be well, they, you, I you mean, can't be standoffish from their your own officers. Courses. Of course you can. You are all the time. You're always standoffish. <laughs> you were the most no, genuinely. Uh, we've gone through this before. You were standoffish when you disagreed with me. You disagreed but, with me, and you then, told me I, I. You've told me loads of times you think I'm wrong, and now suddenly you're saying, "Oh well, you can't disagree with the officers." No, well, I wish someone had no, bloody well no. told you that in the past eight years. No, no. Whenever if there was a disagreement, we would sit down and we would talk about it, and then you'd convince me that you were right. A few times. But that's because I was <laughs> right. But that's not the point. Just a no, few but, times. You know, I, no, I mean, but, and again, you know, you whenever know you that look you, at... And tell me honestly, have you ever held officers to account and told them that what's happening is unacceptable and that they need to change? Have you ever done that? You're a portfolio holder. Have you? I, no, I've probably... I wouldn't say what they've done is unacceptable. Yes, you have. I know you have. <laughs> I've been in a meeting where you've told people it's unacceptable. I've been in a meeting where you, you've actually almost been asked to leave. And that no. was at a parish forum. So, no. so oh, yes. No, no, but, but in, in those circumstances, it, it was wrong. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just pause it for a second. <laughs> So, so sorry. Now, now, now that I've just now we've just gone into when that was. Do you accept that you nearly got removed from a meeting? Because, yeah, but you, you again, the the officer. I, you just need to tell the the, the story. So, there was a certain. No, we can't tell the story. We can't tell the story certain, because they're not here to protect. They're not here no, to defend themselves. No, there so was a certain. You, how am I going to say this without? making us liable there was um a certain planning um uh department uh, uh, that, uh. <laughs> that had uh planning are they were they an authority and um they yeah, had they given permission authority. one of their officers had given permission permission for um some trees to be removed that were not in their jurisdiction at all. So the fact that that's what my argument was about was that this officer had given permission for some trees to be felled when it wasn't in their jurisdiction. So um, that was, yeah, I think, but, I was but totally in, right in, in those defense. circumstances. So, but yeah, I've never I done you, anything. No, you, you... Go on. Well, let me just say, you, you were right. But, no, thank you. Know, you. I think the first thing... 
I, th- I think the first thing out of their mouth was actually, no, you're absolutely right. But you wouldn't take yes for an answer. And so you decided then to tell them, I don't care no, whether I... you agree with me. You, I just want you to understand how wrong you are. And yes, I don't think you fully just... grasp how wrong you are. <laughs> because it was a case of just saying, yeah, we agree with you, but not but just because I was in the room, they agreed with me. I needed them to understand how ridiculous this situation was. These trees were felled in a conservation area by somebody who who had gone to them, thinking, knowing that they would have, if they'd have gone to the right um, authority, they would have been well, refused. To, but to, they then to be fair, the developers, I I think they did go to the right authority. They were refused, and then they went to a different planning authority, which bordered it. And they gave permission. Yeah. And it was only when enforcement action was taken by the correct authority, and then they were shown planning permission was granted by another authority, that this all came to light. Yeah. But and you see, um, my argument was that that officer should have checked whether that was his jurisdiction or not, and and then consulted well, with the the, um, the the authority that were overseeing that section. But in no so, yeah, I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying that you don't ever disagree. I'm just saying if you work together, especially under finances, you work together and then you know if you you know everybody the 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 finance the one five one um officer will then come and say, right, this is what we've got, and then they sit and say, right, this is what we're gonna spend it on. And then if everybody's you know, reading off the same hymn sheet, then it's it's gonna be fine. But if you're if you're not in consultation with your officers over your finances and where the money's going and where the money's coming from and how you can get that money in, then you're it's, it's just going to fail. It, it's just not going to work. So um, so you, you need to you need to have confidence in your officers. If you haven't got the confidence in your officers, then what's the point in them being there? And you can't have that confidence no, in your officers right. unless you talk to your officers. No, I, d- I don't disagree with you. And I think communication is a huge thing. And I think it's actually something that was brought up recently at the, I think it was the Solace com- uh, conference, where they basically came out with, among other things, that they're, since the, um, was it the Standards Board that went away in 2012? Um let me just... 2012. Um, I'm sure it was 2012. Um, so, yeah. Um, um, from the society of local authority, chief executives and senior managers, kind of one of the big criticisms was the lack of effective standards for councillors um, that leaves officers basically with very little option uh, when it comes to poor behaviour because, as we've discussed numerous times over, since the abolition of the Standards Board for England in 2012, councils can't suspend or remove councillors. And so I think that that has... I think that has almost come at the worst time where social yeah. media has allowed the public to have such poor behaviour towards councils and it's become a toxic environment. That has gone hand-in-hand hand with literally unchaining councillors enabling them to also do a race to the bottom of behavior not always there are loads of really well-behaved counselors but for every like i think one or two well-behaved counselors probably a handful of ones that that really aren't um and it was at solace's annual conference they were talking about the financial sector um is in of local government and how many issues there are and that all of this links kind of with what we're saying in terms of 
you know, Birmingham, but also, and you'll remember this because we've discussed it previously, there is a new local government chief executive development framework for chief executives to actually be qualified. And I still find it incredible that with clerks having to, not having to, but being like pushed towards like silica mm-hmm. and qualifications, um, obviously section 151, the same, monitoring officers the same, the one person who has never had this is the chief executive of local authorities at district, yeah. county and unitary. And you just think, how has this not happened before? Like, you know, I just, it baffles me. Um, but then I looked through it and it seems like it, it's interesting. Um, but I'm not 100% confident that it will actually deliver. A lot of it seems, I mean, whenever they talk about core principles and they talk about, you know, public ethics and good governance and managerial lead, I just don't really get the flavour of how this is going to, how this is going to look. And I really don't get how it's going to actually also involve kind of looking outward from local authorities, because a lot of this, um, they, it seems really insular. Um, and it doesn't really seem to be looking out into other organisations, other communities, except if you class it under continuous improvement or resource management. And I really don't think that that's the kind of the kind of areas where like smaller councils really want to be engaged with by by the principal councils, like they're a resource to manage or the continuous improvement, which basically means making their life more difficult or shifting stuff down to them. I would have liked to have seen a a slightly more outward looking um, kind of onus on, on chief executives as well as part of the framework, because I think that that is going to be a huge part of local government going forward to be less insular and and more connected with communities and with organisations. And I think that that should have been a priority that was included because I think it is such an important kind of ambassadorial role. Well said. That's all I can say. You know, for that silence that you gave me. Um, I thought you'd gone. Um, I thought, oh no, I've lost the connection again. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week.